1: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. When we examine the housing crisis, there are no shortage of factors to blame for it. But after years of discussing the topic with experts, I can tell you one thing almost every single one of them mentions every time short term rentals, like Airbnb. In large cities, thousands of apartments that should be long-term rentals are instead churning through short-term guests or, when those guests aren't available, sitting empty. Those properties exist as investments, not as homes. And that's not me making a political statement. That is how the company itself positions it. Make money off your real estate. Lately, however, as the crisis worsens, some cities have been waking up and regulating these short-term rentals. Now, that's great, but as you may have heard on this show, regulations don't really mean much if they are full of loopholes or if they just aren't enforced. And that brings us to the NDP government in British Columbia, who are taking these regulations well beyond what other North American cities have done. It is called the Short-Term Rental Accommodation Act. And despite only being introduced a couple of weeks ago, it is already having a major impact on real estate in the province, something that other attempts at this sort of legislation have largely failed to do. So what does the new act actually do? How is it different from those past attempts? Does it go too far or not far enough? And how will we know if it actually works? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Ryan Hook is an award-nominated journalist with bylines in Vice World News, The Globe and Mail, Capital Daily, and, for this piece, Ricochet. Hey, Ryan. Hi, how's it going? It is going well. I'm excited to discuss this. We've covered Airbnb and short-term rentals on this program, and we've covered attempts to regulate them that uh, maybe haven't worked so well. And is this one different?
0: Yeah, I think this one is different in a lot of ways, you know, across Canada, I think a lot of municipalities and cities have tackled it in their own way. Whereas with this one, now we have an entire province kind of, you know, implementing this sweeping plan to tackle it writ large just uh, across the province.
1: Maybe just to set a baseline, what do we know by now about what short-term rentals and Airbnbs can do to housing in big cities like uh, Vancouver and
0: Victoria? Yeah, I mean, simply put, it just takes supply off the market and it kind of incentivizes investors to invest, you know, in the much more profitable short-term rental market. Uh, I was just talking to someone this past weekend who is selling a former Airbnb condo. And they were making upwards to eight grand to nine grand a year. Mm. Uh, Whereas if they put it on the long term market, they were making, you know, probably a third of that two to three grand.
1: As we've realized the impact um, and as the housing crisis, I guess, has deepened, um, what have other levels of government tried to do uh, with short term accommodations? And can you give me an example or two before we get to why BC is different?
0: Yeah, of course. So, you know, a lot of municipalities have been implementing their own Airbnb rules. Victoria had its own since 2018. You had to register as a business, even small places and resort communities like Tofino, you had to register as a business in order to have a short term rental. And, you know, New York was doing something similar as well that they implemented. So you had to get a license. And in my research for this story, I actually found out that in San Diego, they had a bit of a different system. Short-term rentals there were getting out of hand. So they actually held a lottery where only a certain percentage of homes in San Diego could actually have short-term rentals. I think it was three huh. percent and a bit higher in resort communities. So there's been a few different ways that places are implementing their rules. But like Lindsay Ted, who who I quoted in my in my article who had a big paper and report on short-term rentals, you know, the innovation of these tech companies is often far outpacing legislation. And then when it comes out, you know, you get this big shock from Airbnb companies and and the people that have been utilizing them. And that's why we're talking
1: today, because of uh, this new legislation that like I said at the beginning, I think goes a little bit further uh, than other places. It's like kind of a sledgehammer. Can you explain uh, the Short-Term Rental Accommodation Act?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of aspects to it. But I think the most important are, you know, the province is bringing in a principal residence requirement. So people can only rent out their home in which they live in for the majority of the year. And if they have a secondary suite within their principal residence, they can also do that. So they are allowing, if you live in your home and say you go on vacation for two weeks and you want to put your house on Airbnb, you can do that. Right. Also, if you have a basement suite or you have a carriage house, you can rent that out on Airbnb. So much like some critics will say, you know, Airbnb isn't going anywhere. It's just happening in a, in a different way. You know, it applies to places with more than 10,000 residents. So anywhere with 10,000 residents or more, will be opted into this legislation. But there are some exemptions like resort municipalities like Whistler, Tofino, Soyuz, and cities with a vacancy rate of more than 3%, Hmm. which is considered healthy. You know, they can apply for an exemption from this requirement as well. Some other aspects by the summer of 2024, you know, short-term rental platforms will actually have to share their data with the province. So share information about the hosts, which a lot of housing advocates have really taken a liking to. and any any contravention of this now uh, it, it was a thousand dollars per day. now it's three thousand dollars. So if you're operating in a legal short-term rental and they catch you, it's three thousand dollars a day, which is is quite the jump. Obviously, the
1: principal residence thing is the big takeaway here that will affect the market. Do we have any idea sort of what percentage of short-term rentals fall under that, you know, somebody renting out a room in their house or while they go on vacation or their basement suite versus uh, people who have purchased apartments and homes as investments and are using them principally as a form of income?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question and hard to know exactly because so many illegal short-term rentals were operating. For example, in, in Victoria, you know, we had to have those licenses, so we had to have a good idea of of what was going on, but we had this legal non-conforming rule, this grandfathering in of entire buildings where they could operate short-term rentals just haphazardly and they could they could do it. So, it was tough to determine in Victoria particularly what the percentage was until now that we're seeing them them hit the market a little bit more. The biggest part of this was in Victoria, particularly was, was getting rid of the legal non-conforming, the grandfathering and rule in buildings like the Janion building and a few others scattered across downtown Victoria. It was entire buildings that didn't have to operate in the same way that other buildings were because it was zoned differently. And now the the province is clamping down on it, and we're really starting to see how many homes are coming. Just in the past week, I think I've I've seen uh, sixty listings in these Airbnb ghost hotels. When
1: you say listings, these properties are now uh, being sold. This is a fairly um, when we talk about legislation getting action. This is a fairly immediate repercussion. I mean this this bill was only announced a couple of weeks ago, right? What is actually happening in the market right now?
0: Yeah, from what I, I've seen so far is, you know, listings are going up. Investors are not taking to this legislation very kindly. There, in fact, might even be a, a legal challenge to this. Uh, a lawyer I talked to for the article, John Alexander, said he would not be surprised if there's a legal challenge to the legal nonconforming aspect of this bill in particular. They feel entitled to these short term rentals. And a lot of these places, you know, because Airbnb has been a a thing for so long, many places have been set up particularly for Airbnb. That's why you get these ghost hotels. And these are micro suites, they're very small. And even the people that own them will admit, you know, these are not comfortable places to live long term. Hmm. And they have been designed specifically for Airbnb and now they're very upset with 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 what's going on because they they feel very entitled to to doing this and they you know they did to their credit you know work within what the laws were allowing them right but you know in response to that and to play devil's advocate the writing has been on the wall for a while that there needed to be a clampdown on Airbnb
1: what about um the reaction from I guess, housing advocates, uh, people who have been pushing for this kind of legislation, I assume uh, they're happy. Do they think it goes far enough? What are we seeing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's in- interesting because, you know, housing advocates are, are are quite hardened by by any housing policy these days. Yeah, I guess so. So they're happy. At least the few that I have talked to are are surprised by the legislation. You know, usually, you know, we're in a in an era where governments are typically favoring housing investment over renters' rights. You know, just in September, the B.C. government had approved landlords being able to raise their rent by 3.4% by January. You know, we're already in a, in a space where people are struggling to, to make their rent and they're living paycheck to paycheck. And then you add inflation and, and grocery costs into that, and and it's getting out of hand. You yeah. know, 3.4% is detrimental. So Del Wilder, she is a, a UVic student who is studying law and she owns a bunch of, of Facebook groups or started a bunch of Facebook groups that are dedicated to fair housing practices. You know, they share homes that are being rented out at a, at a really affordable cost. It's a really great service that uh, they're doing. And she is happy with it, but, you know, doesn't think that it's going to have the overnight effect that maybe the
1: I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Are there ways around this? We spoke to um, your colleague at Ricochet in Montreal about Montreal introduced uh, new rules not quite as uh, heavy-handed as these ones. But there were some loopholes that people found a way through.
0: Yeah, from from what I've seen, the loopholes and challenges are mostly, you know, they they could by all means go to the black market. The black market makes it sound scary, but it's actually probably just like a Facebook group. And there is a Facebook group, uh Vancouver Island uh short-term rentals. So, you know, they very well could could rent it out on those on Craigslist, on these, on these other. Forums. Mm-hmm. The one thing that was the loophole, especially in Victoria, was the legal nonconforming aspect. And my colleague, Jimmy Thompson, had reported on the legal nonconforming aspect in August. And w- within a few months, you know, that was on the legislation. So I do credit, you know, the, the work that Ricochet has been doing to find the loopholes, report on them, thus leading to some of the most stringent and unprecedented uh, legislation from BC. I think I think I can credit them for that.
1: One more poke from me in terms of the legislation's effectiveness. How will this be enforced? Who will enforce it? Does the government have uh, the people or the infrastructure to do it? This is another thing we saw was a problem in Montreal and has been a problem, I think, in New York City where the similar legislation was passed.
0: Yeah, so in Victoria, there was an enforcement team. Councillor Dave Thompson told me there was about six or seven people on this enforcement team before this BC Short Term Rental Accommodations Act came in, and you know even they were struggling. There were there was illegal Airbnb units, and there was bylaw officers, uh, you know, knocking on doors, making sure nobody was contravening anything, and they had their license. And from what I can tell, the details of the actual enforcement haven't really been communicated to the municipalities. But from what I've gathered, uh, the housing minister has said it's going to be a a team of 10. Hmm. The data sharing aspect of it, which I, which I detailed, you know, Airbnb and Verbo having to share that information is an optimistic aspect of it. Right. So that will, will very much help and, and cut down a lot of what this enforcement team has to do. But, you know, I can only cite what's happened so far and, So far, it's been hard to enforce.
1: You mentioned that you've seen dozens of places come back on the market. Have you been to any of them? Do we know if there is interest in them? Are they selling? These are apartments that, you know, theoretically could house people in a housing crisis, but somebody's
0: got to afford them first. It's a good point. So this weekend, on behalf of my colleague, Jimmy Thompson, I was out there at a few of these listings in these ghost Airbnb hotels. Most of these listings are selling at the same price that they sold in 2021. Hmm. So one one I went to was sold in 2021 for five hundred thousand and is now on the market for the exact same price. It's a beautiful spot in Waddington Alley in Victoria. Really nice, nice place. Micro suite, really good for a single person and maybe two people that really, really love each other. <laughs> But, you know, the the agent told me this was also a place that sold in 2017 for $350,000. Right. So they have not, from what I've seen so far uh, on Sunday, they haven't really decreased in price yet. And that is a good example because out of all of the places I went, I was out there for four and a half hours. One person showed up. Wow. Yeah. And uh, this was a, a gentleman who was just looking to downsize his place. He, he's a homeowner. Uh, he has a three-bedroom and he's just looking at downsize. Not your typical uh, first-time home buyer couple, maybe young family.
1: If this does have the intended effect, and presumably as more of these uh, former Airbnbs come on the market and they don't sell, the price on those will drop.
0: Yeah, I'm not a real estate analyst by any means, but from what I can gather of of my research, I think that's what would happen. You know, if these aren't selling... I can only assume that if these people really do want to sell, then they will have to drop the price. I mean, there was a, a gentleman in my story. He had a place in the Janion building, which was a, a grandfathered-in building, a ghost hotel. And he said he's just going to drop the price until he can sell it. You know, right now he dropped it $50,000. You know, I I can sympathize with people that bought it you know, at those 2021 prices, 500 grand, and them wanting to sell it back for 500 grand. But again, you know, that the housing market is, is not a guarantee. And That's why they call it speculation. <laughs> exactly. Why don't these property owners
1: simply say, okay, fine, can't do short-term rentals, but I already own the property. I don't want to sell it for less than what I paid for it. So we're going to turn these into long-term rentals for people who, who need that because the vacancy rate is so low.
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of the people that I talk to that are criticizing this short-term rental accommodations act feel like they're being forced to be landlords. A lot of them are saying, you know, being a landlord is is a lot of work, which I don't disagree. I, I've texted my landlord and been like, yo, my, fr- my fridge, you need to replace it now or else my food is gone. So it is a lot of work. But if they were renting these out on Airbnb to multiple people in a month. Right. In my opinion, that's also a, a lot of work. <laughs> they, they still have to replace the fridge. If, if it breaks, they still have to keep the house clean and they have to communicate with the renter on Airbnb or Verbo. Uh, I'm not sure why they're saying it's more work because Airbnb seems like a lot of work as well.
1: This comes into effect, I believe, uh, in the new year, right? What, uh, What will you be looking for once it is in effect? What would you want to see happening for you to be able to say either this is or isn't working?
0: By May, I'm looking to see how many homes are are going to be on the market and at what price. You know, right now, just after this weekend, it seems they're just being sold at the same price. So it'd be interesting to see what ripples this is actually going to create. Everyone I talked to agreed that it's not going to have that overnight Impact that the government you know hopes it will, but you can only build housing so fast. you know we're in this, we're in this crisis now. What is the simplest way to put some houses on the market and hopefully get them to a cost where first time home buyers can can buy them? And in my opinion, this was just one way to do that. This was a, a simple way to do it with a supply that was already there. One that was being used for tourists, not for people that live here. You know, we have students at the University of Victoria living in their vans Mm -hmm. because they can't find a place. And some of these people are are people that have some money to spend on renting. You know, their parents have saved for them to go to school in Victoria. And instead, they had to buy a van. So this was just one simple way. And maybe I'm giving the, the BC government too much credit considering their track record. But... I think this was a, a simple way for them to put immediate houses on the market. And so I, I will be looking for whether this actually has that impact.
1: Ryan, thank you for walking us through it. It'll be interesting to see. And uh, and if it does work, um, surely it might be a model for the rest of Canada.
0: Truly, you know, the federal government has already looked and said they're looking at something similar that same week it was a, it was announced.
1: All right. Well, we'll see. Thanks again for joining us.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: Ryan Hook, writing in Ricochet. That was The Big Story. For more, you can add to thebigstorypodcast.ca where you will find hundreds of episodes, including some where I don't have a cold and don't sound like crap, but thank you for sticking through it with us. You can also get in touch with us by finding us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can email us, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca, and you can call us and leave a message The Big Story is wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I hope we're one of your favorite podcasts. And if you want to listen to us on a smart speaker, just ask it to play The Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.
0: Hi there. I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian... And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now.